Hi everyone, welcome back again to another episode of Press Play, the Stony Brook Press music podcast. My name is Rafael Cruvinel and I am the business manager and the music editor for the Stony Brook Press. Hey everyone, welcome back to Press Play. My name is Lauren Canavan and I'm a fellow music editor and also a news editor here at the Press. Today we're doing a different format. We are not receiving any um, editor's guests or student guests. Instead, we're interviewing a music therapist at Stony Brook University. Her name is Alexandra B. And she's a board-certified music therapist for the medical units of Stony Brook Hospital. She has certifications in NICU music therapy and neurologic music therapy. She also developed the music therapy program at Stony Brook Hospital over three years ago. We are really happy to have her here. We wanted to do an episode about music therapy um, since a while ago. So it's really, really fulfilling that it finally worked out and we were able to talk to her and have this interview with her. So we really hope you enjoy this episode. My name is Alexandra B. I am a board certified music therapist and a licensed creative arts therapist. I have been working at Stony Brook University Hospital as a medical music therapist under the physical therapy department since August of 2019. So basically what I do is I provide music therapy services to patients all over the inpatient units of the hospital. This does not include psychiatry, CPAP, or child psych. And typically I also do not go to the emergency room. So basically any, any patient who um, is referred by a staff member, whether it be an RN, a doctor, a, um, a nurse practitioner is eligible to get music therapy services. And I assess the patient to see where their needs are, their goals are, their, um, I said their goals, their, um, their likes, their dislikes, you know, things that make them tick, their sensory needs, all issues like that. And um, I assess the patient basically on these, on many different various domains, whether it be cognitive, sensory, um, motor, um, kind of spiritually, sometimes we do have, um, you know, especially for a lot of life cases, we see patients and they, um, have strong religious backgrounds that are very meaningful to them. So we assess our patients on a lot of different domains. And basically if a patient, you know, is deemed, um, appropriate for music therapy services, I see them at least, at least, at least once a week until they are discharged. And basically that's how things are kind of running right now. Interesting. Um, and I was going to ask you a little bit about the assessment, but you kind of touched on that already. Um, do you want to talk about from your perspective, um, how over the past few years, uh, seriously or unseriously music therapy is taken in the medical setting? Like, sure. um, <laughs> like mental health services in terms of therapy, physical therapy, occupational therapy, these are all very common in people's minds about, you know, people get prescribed these things should they need them. But um, what is what is like a medical practitioner seeing in a patient that makes them maybe suggest like that music therapy could help them? So there are a ton of different reasons. So obviously, you know, people are in the hospital, they're not happy about it. And a lot of times we get patients who are there for a very long time. So a lot of times I will get these long stay patients and develop some sort of a therapeutic rapport with them. Also patients with different cognitive issues, um, people with different, you know, traumatic brain injuries are very, um, 
you know, they're good patients to refer because music affects so many different parts of the brain all at once. So people with different cognitive and sensory issues, actually a lot of the time respond very, very well to music, but at the same time, it can also have an adverse effect on people. So, um, again, with the sensory issues, somebody with, let's say autism spectrum disorder can respond very positively, but if the, you know, if they're getting the wrong sense of something, if they're, you know, if they don't like the sound, they can respond very negatively to that. And that's why it's important to have a music therapist to kind of know what to do in these kinds of situations. Also like, you know, being in the hospital, a lot of times people are going through very, very difficult things. So as we know, music affects a part of our brain called the amygdala. And that um, has to do where emotional processing happens in our brain. So a lot of times I'll be with a patient and they're going through a lot of stuff. They're in the hospital. They'll hear a song and they'll start to cry. They'll start you know, becoming very emotional. And that is um, another reason why it's so important to have a therapist there that knows how to handle these kinds of situations because people are going through very difficult things. Um, I tend to get, you know, a lot of um, referrals based on coping, length of stay, socialization, sensory issues. A big one I think is really important is um, getting patients. I tend to see a lot of patients with dementia because um, music affects, um, hits the part of the brain called the hippocampus, which is typically, um, you know, affected when a person has dementia and Alzheimer's disease. And they, you know, people, I don't know if you've seen these videos of people with dementia, like putting on headphones and hearing their favorite songs, and they start singing along to every word. I've had patients who can't even really say their name. And then you hear them singing along to some of their favorite songs. And this can bring so much comfort to our families, our patients, and really orient them to reality and help them become more compliant and not as scared when they're in a scary situation, such as being in the hospital. Um, who else do I typically? Um, it's really just so all over the place. I see so many different kinds of patients, but those yeah. are some big hitters, like people with you know cognitive issues, dementia, um, I see patients in the NICU, it depends because it helps them with their feeding and helps them with their, um, you know, being handled by adults and helping with their development. Um, yeah, I tend to get a lot of, here, kind so. of all over the place. Pediatrics as well. Hospitals are scary. Music normalizes the environment. Um, you mentioned something that is very personal to me. You mentioned the dementia and Alzheimer's yeah. part, and I was already planning on asking you that oh. today. Um, but I'm glad that you come that you touched that right in the beginning because um, one of my grandfathers died three years ago from Alzheimer's, and mm -hmm. sorry, um, the scene that you described of like the phones and like listening to music and singing the lyrics along. Although that's not necessarily something that I saw him doing, I saw him doing something which was similar, which was when he was in the nursing home um, and they were playing live music there. I remember that he would, um, you know, like clap his hands in the rhythm mm -hmm. of the music. Yeah. And I remember that my mother, he was the father of my father, but my mm -hmm. mother was the one who noticed that. And she was like, oh, it's really interesting how, you know, like he doesn't remember things like um you know like he probably doesn't remember 
a lot of things about his life, but he does remember like he can process and he can remember the rhythm of the music. So yeah, that- no, it's really it's so amazing. I always say, um, well, this is something that we know music from our like late teen years and early 20s, like you guys are college age, right? You guys are in your early 20s, late teens. Music from this point of your life, it's gonna end up sticking with you for the rest of your life because it's the most salient. So a lot of these patients, when they hear music from those time periods in their life, that's what sticks with them the most. So when we're old one day and we hear, you know, Harry Styles and Doja Cat, that's gonna stick with us for the rest of our lives. It's really amazing. And is that, is, is there any like neurological, biological explanation of why the songs that are um, in our heads when we are teenagers are the ones that stick to us the most? I know that there's a ton of research supporting that, but I don't know if there's like a, um, a neurological explanation, but there's a lot, a lot of research supporting that those years are the most salient, probably because we're growing the most, we have the most salient type of memories you know, things of that kind of nature, but there's no like neurologic biological reason for that, that I'm aware of. I could be wrong. Um, in terms of like, I'm sure that there's just like anything else, just like physical, uh, physical therapy, occupational therapy, you kind of have a different set of things that you would go through with each patient, depending on their level of, um, need. So can you talk about some of like the different, um, I don't know how you would call them. Let's say programs you would. Yeah. Like different domains kind of. Yeah. Like if, if you're interact, if you're allowing them to interact in the music or if you're just providing music, if there's like a tactile element. Mm -hmm. So it depends. It really depends so much on the situation. Typically, you know, also since music therapists work in a lot of different settings, music therapists can work in nursing homes, schools, um, hospitals, mental health centers, I'm definitely missing some, but music therapists work in a wide variety of places. So they have, you know, a wide variety of different ways that they practice and different goals that they're achieving with their patients because of the settings that they're in. So typically when I go in and see a patient, um, I assess, you know, how they communicate, what's their reality orientation. Do they even know where they are right now? I see patients who are in comas, so they're not going to be answering these kinds of questions with me. So a lot of times for situations like that, I'll go in and play some music, but you need to be sure that the music that you're playing isn't something that is traumatic for someone. But typically let's say the person is not, is, you know, just you know, let's say they have some sort of an illness, they are able to communicate, they're alert and oriented. A lot of times I will go in and ask them about what's been going on, you know, why they're in the hospital. Um, I'll go in their chart, see what's going on with their medical background. Because a lot of what we do in a hospital is help people cope with being in the hospital. So I will, you know, again, go in, ask how, ask how they're doing, what's been going on, introduce myself, you know, kind of see how they respond to that. Um, I always ask people, what's your favorite kind of music? Because there is so much research that states your preferred music is going to affect your brain the most than just listening to just random music that someone plays. Because we have memories with the music that we like. We have associations with the music that we like. And, you know, this, these are the kinds of things that are going to uplift a person's mood. Um, I'll assess their motor skills. 
um, assess their musical backgrounds. I want to know, you know, it, did you play the piano when you were five years old? How do you play music now? Do you like to sing? Are you able to hold a tune? Are you able to keep rhythm? Um, I assess their motor skills, see whether they're able to, you know, do this on a piano. Are they able to hold a bell? Are they able to, um, you know, cause sometimes we get patients with a lot of, of, with really low tone and they can't even do that. So some things that we work on are motor skills having to do with rhythmic interventions and things like that. So, um, yeah, so I'll assess, you know, their musical background, not really their musical ability, but kind of their functional ability in a way, see what they're able to do. Um, you know, their conversational ability, are they even able to speak as the person nonverbal? We work a lot with people who are nonverbal and sometimes they just kind of vocalize and sing along. Um, I'll always ask them, you know, what kind of music they like, if they're even comfortable with singing along or playing an instrument. Sometimes I'll go in the room and patients, you know, are kind of self-conscious about, you know, expressing themselves musically. I'll see what they want to do. Sometimes people write songs. I've had, um, I've done a lot of songwriting interventions. And meanwhile, that could be, it is more of a semantic conversational intervention, but it is a good way for people to express themselves through some difficult times. Um, but a, a lot of the time I just basically go with what, you know, the patient brings to the table and kind of go from there when I assess a patient and see what happens I'm going through my form. So we, you know, based on what I gather with their, our first interaction, I, de I develop goals and I develop, you know, where I'm going to take this from the future. Interesting. Um, I wanted to ask you about the relationship between music therapy and traditional therapy. I wanted to ask you if music therapy can serve or can be used as a replacement to traditional therapy or only as an addition to the traditional therapy? It really depends on what you're working toward. Because again, a lot of my patients who get music therapy, like I said before, when you say traditional therapy, do you mean talk therapy? What kind of therapy are you referring to? I'm referring to like, you know, going to a like therapist. Mental yeah, mental health therapy, like going okay. to, to, a, to a therapist's office and like venting mm -hmm. to them all of your yeah. problems and they're going to like give you advice based on their knowledge. Mm -hmm. That's what so, I mean. Um, yeah, so um, it's definitely not a replacement for any sort of therapy. Every therapy has its own type of benefits and nothing can replace another one. However, like I said, you know, I have a lot of patients who are nonverbal. They can't really benefit from speaking with a therapist because they can't talk. However, I've had a lot of patients. I had a patient today who was rocking to the music and humming, and it was like he was singing and he was able to engage with another person, even though he can't speak, but he was able to engage within the music. So it's not like, you know, I'll go in and it's definitely not a replacement for talk therapy at all. Like I said, every therapy, whether it be physical therapy, occupational therapy, um, psychological therapy, art therapy, every type of therapy has its own benefits and music just, you know, does different things that no other therapy can do. But same with psychological therapy. So is talk therapy. So everyone is just different and you are achieving different things. Right. 
And um, just to slightly shift gears from from what I'm understanding through our conversation is your professional career has mostly been helping people who are prior, like might be priorly uh, handicapped or have um, sort of issues with motion, but then also people who have been hospitalized for long periods of time. But is there an area of music therapy out there for people who are just going through like mental health issues? Um, yes. Just to touch on that a little bit. Yes. There is, um, you know, I've obviously never done this. I've been in the field for a short period of time. And most of my experience has been um, in nursing homes and hospitals. But there is um, a lot of people I know in the city, there are music therapists that do things like music psychotherapy, and you really engage in the music and really are um, in deal with a lot of like deep trauma through just vocal expression and, you know, improvising on an instrument. There's also um, an intervention called guided imagery and music, where basically you're Gui either guided through a script and you have like images in front of you, or you listen to the music and kind of, you know, evaluate or not evaluate. What's the word? Um, kind of, you know, go deep into your subconscious from listening to the music and it's very, very therapeutic for people. And, you know, that could be a way that a lot of people end up processing trauma and, you know, it's really, really deep psychotherapeutic work. So yes, that is very, that's a big thing that, you know, very highly skilled, highly trained music therapists do, because again, it's rooting into someone's subconscious. You can't just, you know, it's, it's big, it's deep, and you can definitely find, um, you know, music therapists who do that from the American Music Therapy Association. You can find a music therapist who does this kind of work from um, the Certification Board for Music Therapists, and they have all, you know, contact information from those resources. Interesting. That's really cool. Yeah. Because I think when I think about the first thing that does come to mind with music therapy is probably, um, just the goal of getting people to interact and, you know, to this music that might not be able to, that might be nonverbal, like you were discussing mm -hmm. before. Um, but I think that it's important that people know that it, it's, it's, the field is so much wider than that. You yeah. know, there's many opportunities out there, um, to really help people that I think honestly, not enough people do take advantage of. So hopefully mm -hmm. when people hear our conversation, they'll start to, they'll, they'll be intrigued to learn more about it. Mm -hmm. I guess it's kind of just like an overall wrap up. Um, obviously, um, again, just making that parallel to traditional therapy, like let's say mental health therapy. Um, because I feel like that's something that people think of, you know, when therapy comes to mind, that's kind of the, the thing that people think about. Um, whether they're in therapy or not, they might be told on a personal level ways in which they could help their mental health would be through doing exercises like taking a long walk, going to the gym, taking a moment and taking a few deep breaths. Mm -hmm. um, what advice do you have for people who aren't um, actively prescribed music therapy or aren't, um, yeah, I would say aren't actively prescribed to you know, go to, go to somebody like you, go to an expert like you through music therapy, what could they do outside of that realm? What could they do on a personal level? Um, and, you know, get things out of the field. Yes. And I, I think, um, something that is related to what Lauren is saying and that, um, I think it's almost asking the same question, but with different words, 
if it isn't very clear, is just like, how would you, like, how can people incorporate some of the elements of music therapy on their daily life? That's so one thing I want to point out before I answer this question is, um, you know, music obviously really benefits people. It uplifts our mood. We all know this. But it's so important that when we engage in these kind of behaviors and, you know, use music, call it therapeutic, that we're not calling it music therapy because music therapy is the clinical and evidence-based practice where you're engaging with a professional who is a music therapist and has to do with the therapeutic relationship between the two. So engaging in music on your own is awesome. And I think that, you know, most people like music. Most people benefit from music. Most people, you know, if you listen to music, it uplifts your mood. It makes us feel good. You know, sometimes we even have autobiographical memories with music. Sometimes they're negative. Sometimes they're positive. But it is, you know, it's such a powerful tool that, you know, we should utilize on a daily basis. And, you know, it could definitely be something that is therapeutic for everyone, even if they're not you know, going to music therapy. And, you know, I encounter a lot of patients who are like, no, I don't need music therapy right now. I have my iPad, which, you know what, that's, that's your own way of doing it. And, you know, they don't need that relational interaction, but engaging in music, is just something that we all kind of do naturally. And it's beneficial. It's good for our mental health, but at the same time, you know, music does bring up a lot of complex emotions that sometimes we need to process possibly with a music therapist, but that's also another, actually, no, I forgot. Um, there is another kind of um, technique that we've learned about. There are music therapists that do this kind of work, which is a lot is um, analytic, analytical music therapy, which basically, you know, you're, it's very conversational based and you're analyzing how the music made you feel and, you know, talking about those emotions and those images and things that pop up with a trained professional who, knows how to handle that kind of stuff. So that could be another, um, another avenue that people can seek out. Thank you for making that distinction. I think it's really important that people understand that. And once again, I think this has been a really valuable conversation, not only for us as like music editors for future research and future pieces, we can even get published uh, with the magazine, but also to whoever is going to listen to the podcast. So thank you so much for your time tonight.